The period that Esther lived in was known as the time of the Babylonian exile. Babylonian exile, um, after the first uh, King David uh, lived about, uh, King David lived um, close to 3,000 years ago, um, right? Um, his son Solomon built the first temple. The first temple stood for a little over 400 years. And then it was destroyed after a Babylonian invasion. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonian emperor Nebuchadnezzar actually invaded Israel not once but twice. The first time um, he took the king Yechania um, to exile together with most of the Jewish leadership. Both the religious leadership, the aristocrats, the royal family, um, the um, Kohanic leadership most of the wealthy people, most of the skilled people, or essentially all of the who's who of Israel were all taken back to Babylon. It turned out to be a blessing in disguise because all of those people were then settled in Babylon, built a community so that a few years later when the rest of the people were brought to Babylon, they were able to, they found an existing flourishing community. So Esther, um, Esther's cousin Mordechai, and presumably either Esther herself or her parents, came with that first exile. They were from um, an aristocratic family, and so they came with that first exile already to Babylon. Um, Later, a couple years later, Nebuchadnezzar went back um, and this time destroyed the temple and exiled the rest of Israel. The rest of the Jews were exiled to Babylon as well. Um, Jews from Babylon managed to spread out across what was called the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire was an empire that stretched from India in the east all the way through to Greece in the west and all the way south to Egypt um, in the south in Africa. So it was a very, very large empire um, controlling much of what today we call the Middle East. Um, And so... Um, and so a couple, years af- a couple years after the destruction of the first temple and the exile of the Jews to Babylon, the Babylonian Empire fell to um, a Persian Mede partnership. Um, Darius, um, who was the king of the Medes, and Cyrus, the king of the Persians, um, joined forces to capture Babylon, and they took over the Babylonian Empire. Um, we believe they were previously uh, they were previously um, kings under control of the Babylonian Empire, or vassal kings that essentially seized control of the empire. Um, when doing so, they moved the capital of the uh, empire to. They moved the capital of the empire from Babylon, which is in Mesopotamia, to um, Shushan, um, known in its English name is Susa, which is in modern-day Iran, and um, they, which was closer to where Persians lived. Um, they pr- presumably felt safer over there. Um, so after Darius lived very short, um, he was taken over as the emperor. He was taken over by Cyrus, who was actually his son-in-law, and then after the death of Cyrus, the next king was, in Hebrew, Ahasuerus, or in English, Ahasuerus. And Ahasuerus becomes king of the um, Persian Mede Empire. 
Um, our traditions tell us that Ahasuerus was neither was not related to Cyrus or, or Darius. He was rather a uh, usurper who um, essentially seized control of the empire. He was not from of royal background whatsoever, um, but he rose to power and seized control um, of the empire. Um, and so, the uh, story of Purim begins with Ahasuerus making this huge feast. Um, he ruled over, it says, 127 provinces, stretching from India to Ethiopia. Um, so it was a very, very large empire. And he makes a huge feast for 180 days for all of his, um, all the elites of the Persian Empire, all the officers, and all the military people. Now, these Persians really knew how to party. Um, <laughs> So they party for 180 days. The Book of Esther actually gives us great detail of the party. And um, over there, he then makes another seven-day party for all the people of the, um, of the city of Shushan, all the commoners. And uh, presumably he did make both parties with the intent of having everybody um, be grateful to him in order for them to um, not rebel against him. Of course, they were always afraid of rebellion. Uh, so during this party, he gets drunk and he orders that his wife Vashti be brought before him. Vashti, in order to show off her beauty to everyone, Vashti refuses to come. Our tradition tells us that Vashti was a um, daughter or granddaughter of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. And um, she refuses to come. Um, Ahasuerus seeks advice from his advisors, who his brilliant advisors tell him that if Vashti doesn't listen to her husband, then that will teach women throughout the Persian Empire not to listen to their husbands either, and their women will, um, will uh, men will lose control of their wives, and it will cause chaos throughout the country, throughout the empire, and so therefore he should take a no tolerance policy and therefore he should get rid of her. The, the Megillah doesn't say exactly how he got rid of her, but it's pretty clear from the story that um, he had her killed. And so, um, and so, although Vashti doesn't seem to have done anything wrong, if anything, she stood up for her own honor, our sages, however, say that Vashti was not a good person. Our tradition tells us, the Midrash tells us, that she had been... Um, very um, bad to Jewish women and to um, her own servants, and she was deserving of her punishment. It wasn't, she, she was no hero. That's what our tradition tells us, our oral tradition. Um, so anyway, King, King Ahasuerus, the Megillah tells us, um, was now stuck without a, without a um, queen. And so um, his brilliant advisors again tell him that, they, that he should search for a queen by bringing all young pretty girls from across the empire to Shushan and they would then prepare, they would then, he would see them one by one and that way choose the most beautiful one to be his queen. And so... Um, it, the Midrash tells us originally girls came on their own. Many of them wanted to be queen. After he had no luck um, with those who came on their own, he had a hard time finding, his, finding the right one. And so uh, they started um, taking people by force. Um, 
And we know that it was the, the Megillah tells us this was a four year process um, to find his queen. It was, took him a very, very, very long time um, to try to find this queen. Um, anyway, at a certain point, Esther, who is, uh, is taken to the palace. Now, at this point, the Megillah stops to tell us who Esther is. Esther is a cousin of Mordechai, who's going to be a hero of the Purim story. Mordechai, the Megillah tells us, was taken by Nebuchadnezzar in the first exile with Yechaniah, which was before the destruction of the temple. As we said, there was an earlier exile where the elites were taken. Mordechai was taken. He would have already by now been older um, because this would have already been decades after, um, some 50-something years after the, or 60 years after the, um, destruction of the temple. Mordechai may have been young at the time, but he was at least um, 60, 70 years old by this point. Um, he had a first cousin whose name was Esther. Esther. Both Esther's parents died when she was young. And so he raised his cousin Esther as a child. Um, that's what the Megillah tells us. Now, our sages in the Talmud tell us, take it a step further, and say he actually married Esther. He was married to Esther. Um, she was married to him. And so, um, anyway, her, her, she in the Megillah tells us she has two names, Esther and Hadassah. Hadassah um, means, uh, comes from the Hebrew word Hadass, which means myrtle, which is a um, very... Uh, a tree that was a plant that was very commonly used for its fragrance in um, in ancient times, and um, her name was also Esther. Um, Esther in Hebrew means hidden because um, she was hidden from her people by being in the palace. Perhaps it was a name that was given later, or our sages say that Esther was actually her Persian name. Um, Esther, our sages say, is Venus was Venus in Persian. And um, Venus was supposedly the beautiful, the, um, the um, planet or the god of beauty. And so therefore, because of her beauty, she was called Esther. So, um, so anyway, Esther is forcibly taken to the palace. Um, the, our tradition is very clear. This was against her will. She was taken to the palace. And it's pretty clear from the Megillah, Megillah of Esther as well that um, she's taken against her will to the palace. Over there, they go through a 12-month period of beautification um, with oils and um, fragrances and um, in order to be ready to see the king. It was a 12-month process. Um, while, and while the women were given everything they wanted, Esther um, did not ask for anything um, because she had no interest in um, being stuck with the king. Um, she did not want to become queen. She would be quite happy if they would let her go. Um, and, but Esther, it says, Esther find favor, but found favor or grace with everybody she met. In other words, she was very, very well liked. Everyone who saw her liked her. Um, in fact, the Talmud says that it wasn't so much her looks, but it was her grace. In other words, everybody was taken by her, not because of her looks, but because of her personality. And so um, she was, and so the um, head of the one who was taking care of the women, his name was Haggai, 
um, in the Megillah. She um, does everything he can to help her um, and gives her special treatment, um, but she's not interested in any help. She is given seven maids to um, look after her. Um, our sages say she had seven maids in order to not forget when Shabbat was. She had one maid serving her every day of the week, and that way she would keep track of Shabbat. The Persians didn't have weeks and didn't have um, weekends, and because she was cut off from the Jewish community, she was afraid she would forget when Shabbat was. She continued to keep the Jewish laws, um, even in the palace, continued to eat kosher and continued to keep Shabbat. So Esther um, is then brought before the um, king. This is in the seventh year of his reign, um, four years after he um, made his party. Um, she's brought before the king. The king decides that Esther is the one that he has chosen, um, that he was going to make Esther his queen. And so, um, however, the Megillah tells us that Mordechai told Esther not to tell anyone that she was Jewish, not to tell people her background, not to tell anyone that she was Jewish. Um, and so the, um, Esther listens to Mordechai and um, and does not tell anyone about her background, keeps her Jewishness secret. Um, it then tells us that the um, Ahasuerus gathered the girls again to Shushan, um, either to make a party to celebrate his marriage or appointing of the queen, uh, but our sages actually say that Ahasuerus tried to get Esther to tell him her background and she refused. And so he said, then I will find another queen and I will make a new competition. And um, he thought that that way it would get her to change her mind and she still refused to do so. And so he gave up. Um, the Megillah tells us that she remained loyal and faithful to Mordechai. Our sages say that that means that even though she was married to Ahasuerosh, she continued to see Mordechai, who the Talmud says was her, she had been married to previously, and um, she did not leave. Mordechai somehow would make it to the palace and see her. Um, Mordechai um, himself, it says, would come regularly to the palace to check on her, um, and he would sit at the gates of the palace. Um, simply that means he would sit outside and find out what was going on inside. But our sages actually say that Esther had Mordechai appointed as a minister in the palace. And um, in order, I guess that way she had better access to him, but um, also it gave him some power within the kingdom. Yes, Don? You say that she hid being Jewish, yet she was keeping Shabbos and keeping kosher. How is that not displaying that she's Jewish? They didn't figure it out. <laughs> Maybe they weren't hanging around that many Jews. <laughs> yes. So if she was married to Mordecai, was she? she the Talmud says she was married to Mordecai. Mm -hmm. So she, then she married again. So she's married to two men? So her, that's a very good question. Talmud asked that question. Her relationship with Ahasuerus, with the king, was a forced relationship. It was not willing. That was by force. Um, her marriage to Mordechai was willing. She never gave up on Mordechai. She never had children. 
Right, but you're allowed to have two the women were allowed to She wasn't she didn't consider herself married to Achashvero. She didn't consider it a legitimate marriage. It was forced. It was against her will. Why did she even go to begin with she was taken against her will. Oh, okay. So they took married women too. Apparently. Wow. <laughs> the the emperor, emperor didn't have too many limits. He didn't care. So at that point, we're told um, there were two of the king's guards who, um, who made a plot to kill the king. Um, their names were Big Tan and Teresh. Big Son and Teresh. And um, Mordechai overheard the plot and told Esther about the plot, and they managed to confirm it, and Big Son and Seresh were hung as a result. And Esther had said that Mordechai, to- told the king that Mordechai had, was the one who had uncovered it, and therefore it was written in the book of Chronicles that Mordechai had uncovered the plot. How did Mordechai uncover the plot? So the Megillah doesn't tell us, but our oral traditions and the Talmud do tell us that um, Big Tan and Teresh were both from Tarshish. Um, where's Tarshish? Tarshish is an island of the Mediterranean mentioned many, many times in scripture. Um, there's some debate as to where it is, possibly Cyprus, um, possibly a different island. And so they were from Tarshish and they spoke Tarshish language, um, a language that most people did not speak. However, Mordechai knew many, many languages, including Tarshish, and he therefore overheard them when they thought nobody understood what they were saying. Um, And therefore, he was able to uncover the plot. At this point, um, the king made Haman um, his lead minister and raised him over all the other ministers. And Haman made a rule that everybody had to bow down to him. And so wherever people, wherever he went, everybody had to bow down to Haman. Now, the, um, the Mordechai, who was at the gate of the palace, or even in the palace as a minister, refused to bow to Haman. He would not bow to Haman. Now, to be clear, there is no prohibition in Judaism to bow to another person as a sign of respect like the Japanese do. In fact, um, today with the coronavirus, they tell you not to shake hands, not even to do the fist pump or the elbow touch. Um, but um, the bowing is probably the best way to greet people. Um, yeah, I think they announced not to do that anymore. So uh, bowing is the best way to greet people. That is fine. That is fine. You can bow to people. Um, you can also bow before kings as a sign of respect. There is nothing wrong with doing that, and we find it done throughout our scripture. Um, the problem, so why did Mordechai refuse to bow to Haman? Um, so our sages say that there must have been something much more sinister. Um, Haman carried an idol necklace around his neck, and it wasn't about bowing to Haman. It was about bowing to Haman's idol, and so Mordechai refused to bow to Haman's idol. And that was the problem over here. And so because Mordechai refused to bow to Haman, Haman was very angry at Mordechai. But he wasn't going to just take it out on Mordechai, as 
anti-Semites have done throughout history. He was going to take it out on the entire Jewish people. His anger at Mordechai was going to be directed towards all the Jewish people, and he decided that he will destroy and annihilate the entire Jewish people. He is the first one recorded who made this attempt to annihilate our people. Others, of course, have done it. Many others have done it, tried to do it since. No one's successful, of course, because we're still here. So Haman um, turns, goes to King Achashverosh, and he comes to the king and he says, uh, there is a nation that is spread out and scattered throughout, the, the, throughout your kingdom. And um, because Israel was at the time spread out throughout the Persian Empire, and they have different rules than everybody else and don't listen to the king's laws. Um, that's, those are the words of the Megillah um, that we say in the book of Esther. The Talmud says Haman had specific accusations. These people are lazy. They never want to work. They take off every seven days as Shabbat. Not only that, in addition to Shabbat, they also have lots and lots of holidays. We had a lot of holidays. The Talmud says God told Haman, you complain that they have too many holidays, you're going to give them one more. So we have, uh, they have too many holidays. They also, um, they don't, they don't eat with regular people. They have their own diet. They don't eat, they eat kosher. They don't eat with other people. They don't. Um, drink with other people. We're not allowed to drink non-kosher wine. And so because of those, uh, and so Haman has all these complaints about our people to Ahasuerus. And then he makes Ahasuerus an offer. He says, I will give you 10,000 talents of silver um, for, in exchange for um, in, in exchange for being, having the right to destroy these people. How much is 10,000 talents of silver? A talent or a kikar is 3,000 shekels or about 2,000 ounces. So 10,000 talents of silver, we're talking about 20 million ounces of silver. Go figure out what that would be in today's value of silver. Then silver was worth a lot more. It was an exorbitant sum. Um, Ahasuerus says, you can Google it, yes. Ahasuerus tells Haman, keep the money. I don't need the money. You're welcome to do whatever you like with these people. Um, the Talmud says it is like a, um, one person has a big mound of earth in their, on their, in their field that they want to get rid of, and another person has a big ditch that they want to fill. And the person with the, the, person with the um, ditch goes to the person with the mound and says, can I buy your mound off you? And the one with the mound says, take it. I want, you to, I want to get rid of it. Take it for free. And so, uh, and so the person with, and so in the same way, Haven says, can I annihilate the Jews? And Ahasuerus says, no problem, I'd love to get rid of them. Take them for free. And so he gives Haman his ring, the ring had his seal on it, with which he could use to send letters. So Haman came up with a plan to destroy the Jewish people, which was that he would send letters to all the provinces, that all who wish on a specific day can rise up 
and attack all the Jewish people and destroy them um, with no consequence. And he chose a specific day that um, the Megillah tells us at this point it was the first month of the year, the month of Nisan, um, when Haman decided to choose a day. He drew lots to choose this day, which is the word for lots in Persian is Pur, from which we get the name Purim. And he drew lots, and the lots fell out on the 13th day of the month of Adar. The Persians used a lunar calendar, just like we have, and they had well, those same names. They didn't keep track of weeks, but they kept track of months. But did they have a calendar? They had calendars. Sure, they, they had calendars. Calendar, they had the lunar calendar. calendar. So then why would she have a problem finding they didn't have weeks, they had months. One long month of 30 days, a 30-day month. No weeks, no weeks. I'm coming from Iran, and Esther's, you know, comes from Iran, and the story we know, Purim is always equal with the spring. The spring is a big, big celebration for Iranian people. They did have a calendar, they did... Yes, they had a calendar. And and they had, and they had the same months. Yes. And also, we um, always thought Mordechai was the uncle to the Esther that married. That's a mistake. That's a mistake. Firstly, he was a cousin. The Megillah says that he was a cousin, and the Talmud says he was married. <coughs> so, <coughs> to continue with the story, so, so. Um, Haman chooses the 13th of Adar to draw lots, to, uh, to uh, tell everyone to de- destroy the people. He sends letters out to all the leaders of all the provinces that on the 13th of Adar, which would have been 11 months away, instead of choosing, he cho- chose lots and that's when the lottery fell out. In 11 months, everybody can rise up against the Jews and kill the Jews on the 13th of Adar. He seals it with the royal signature and sends it out to all of the um, provinces. Meanwhile, in Shushan, in the capital, they hear about what Haman's decree becomes public knowledge. The Jews are all very sad about Haman and the king are happy, while the Jews are all very sad, worried about what will happen to them. Mordechai, um, they all gather in public, they pray, they fast, the, um, they, they don sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, and ashes, which was, they would do it as a sign of mourning. And um, they, um, the, and uh, the Jews are all upset. Mordechai comes with a copy of the king to the, of the edict to the royal palace with um, ashes on his head and dressed in sackcloth, which is a thick um, kind of material. And so um, he comes to the palace and he sends a message to Esther and Esther wants him to come inside, but he cannot enter the palace with sackcloth and ashes. She tells him to change and come inside and he says he will not change. He sends her a message as to what has happened and he says, please go into the king to try to ask him to save our people. And so, um, and, and, he, and he tells her that maybe for this reason you became queen in order to be able to save your people. And so Esther responds to him and says, I have just recently fallen out of favor with the king. Um, the kings were very, in those days, or, uh, they were tyrants, they were very dependent on their moods. And he had, she said, I have fallen out of favor with the king. I have not seen him for 30 days. 
And so um, if I go into the king without being called in, I will be killed. So Mordechai sends back a message to Esther, going through messages, messengers, because Mordechai is not coming into the palace because he refused to take off, it, off his um, sackcloth and his ashes. And so Mordechai sends back a message, um, perhaps the most powerful line of the Megillah, and he says, if you sit back and do nothing, the Jews will be saved regardless. God will take care of us. However, you, your purpose is to save our people at this moment. If you do not save us now, you would have wasted all that suffering and all those years in the palace was all for this reason, and you would have wasted your purpose why you are there in the palace. This is the reason why you became queen. You will have you went through all this suffering just to for this moment and you've got to stand up to the moment. So Esther takes up the challenge with those words of Mordechai, um, which is really a lesson for us in all our challenges. If you ever face a challenge, you've got to remember this challenge may be the purpose, why you went through all these challenges in order for you to have a moment to overcome it, in order for you to stand up to the moment. And so Esther makes that choice to stand up and take the risk and do what it takes Um, to try to save her people, even though she was putting herself in grave danger. And she says, this is what we will do. Um, Have all the people um, of Shushan fast for me, all the Jews of Shushan fast for me for three days, and I and my maids will will fast as well for three days. And on the third day, I will come into the king. It wasn't entirely three days, because now it was already the middle of the day. And... They were going to fast for another whole day, and then on the third day she would go into the king, so it was about 48 hours. They would fast without eating or drinking. And so, difficult thing to do. Mordechai, um, we're, we're told, meanwhile goes to back to Shushan. Over there he gathers um, all of the children, because in order to um, arouse, in order to Invoke God's mercy. The greatest power we have is the power of children. It says in Psalms, From the mouths of the young ones, we will be able to destroy our enemies. So he gathers all the children and together they pray um, before uh, they pray to God for salvation. Meanwhile, Esther on the third day enters. She is now weak from fasting, so which would have made her um, taken away part of her beauty, um, taking a, make her not look as attractive, and um, she's weak, but she decides she needs God's help at this moment, so after, on the third day of fasting, she goes into the king's chambers unannounced, and the king is in his chambers. When he sees Esther, um, he suddenly um, has a... Um, uh, is uh, ha, uh, is um, drawn to her... And he stretches out his royal scepter, which was a sign that she should come close to him. Um, Our sages say that not only was Esther risking her life then, she was also effectively ending her marriage with Mordechai. Because until then, she had been forced by Ahasuerus. She had never gone to him willingly. And now she was going to him willingly, and so um, without being called, 
and so not being forced, and so she effectively um, that effectively meant that she was no long she could no longer remain married to Mordechai. So she was then forced to end her relationship with Mordechai as a result. But she took that sacrifice. Um, she um, so the king asks her, Esther, what would you like? I will give you up to half my kingdom. And the um, and so Esther says, I would like for you and Haman to come to a party that I have prepared for you. She had prepared a party for them. And um, the king says, hurry, go find Haman. Let's go to the party. As we already know, the king liked parties. <laughs> now, why did Esther invite? She didn't want to tell Ahasuerus straight away what she wanted. She was hoping to um, build momentum for that, so that Ahasuerus will change his mind when she requests from him to save her people. Um, she didn't, she was afraid if she just asks it outright, he would not grant her that request. He didn't know she was Jewish, of course. And so at this point, um, now why did she ask Haman to come as well? Why not just Ahasuerus? So um, firstly, she wanted that when she complained about Haman, Haman should be there so Ahasuerus can get upset at him right there and then and punish him on the spot. Um, we, knew, we know already that he's very moody and uh, makes some um, extreme decisions um, on the spot. Um, but also, she, the Talmud says, she was hoping that Ahasuerus will start to wonder, why Haman? And she would think, and Ahasuerus will begin to think, Maybe Esther's having an affair with Haman, and maybe they are plotting to kill him. And of course, all em emperors lived in total paranoia that everybody around them was always trying to kill them, which was somewhat true. Everyone around them was always trying to kill them. And so, and so Ahasuerus and Haman got, come to the party, and at the party, Ahasuerus says, Esther, what would you like? I will give you up to half my kingdom. And Esther says, I would like you and Haman to come to another party tomorrow. Okay. And so, at the party? No. no, just the three of them. Just oh. the three of them. Dinner, dinner. Three oh. of them. They had dinner together. Yeah, the dinner. Sorry, oh. wrong word. In, he, in the McGill, it's the same word. A dinner. Okay. I'd like you to come to a dinner or a lunch. Oh, okay. It was a lunch. It was during the day. So I'd like you to come to a lunch tomorrow. So they, um, Ahasuerus goes back to his chambers Haman leaves the palace. As Haman's leaving the palace, who does he bump into? Mordechai. And Mordechai does not bow before him as everyone else is doing. And he is extremely angry. He had just been telling himself how special he was that he gets called to private dinners just with the king and queen, nobody else. And he had been so proud of himself. And now he sees Mordechai and he decides he cannot wait 11 months for Mordechai to be killed. He wants to get rid of Mordechai straight away. He comes home and he tells his wife Zeresh about his concerns. Mordechai is ruining life is so good. He is um, the favorite of the king and queen invited alone to their private dinner. But um, Mordechai is ruining it all for him because he refuses to bow to him. And so Zeresh suggests make a gallows 50 cubits high, 50 cubits, about 75 feet high, and hangs that everybody all over the city will see it. And uh, go tomorrow, to go to the king to ask permission to hang Mordechai, and you'll hang Mordechai tomorrow when you get to the part, when you get to the dinner with the king and queen tomorrow, you'll already be happy, your enemy will be gone. And so... Haman decides to go to, uh, to, does exactly that. He spends all night building these gallows. 
Meanwhile, that night, Ahasuerus cannot sleep. And our sages say, this is, where the, this is where the story begins to turn around, where everything suddenly starts falling into place and, um, and the people are going to be saved. Ahasuerus cannot sleep. Why could he not sleep? God didn't want him to sleep in order that he should save the people. It says everybody else was going to sleep, but God made sure that God was always awake to make sure that our people are always protected. And, uh, but the Talmud also says there's another reason Ahasuerus couldn't sleep. Because Esther's plan was working. Ahasuerus thinks, why is Esther making a party? She came to me unannounced, made a party with me and Haman, and then making another party with me and Haman tomorrow. And she starts thinking, maybe there's something going on between Esther and Haman that I don't know about. They must be plotting to kill me at the party. They're trying to get me to let down my guard. And then once I trust them, they're going to rise against me, rise up against me and kill me. And so that's why Ahasuerus could not sleep. And uh, if that's why, then that explains the next events very um, clearly, where Ahasuerus asks that the book of Chronicles be brought before him to be read to him as he's trying to sleep. Why? The Talmud says he was wondering who would help him, who would tell him if somebody was plotting against him, who would be there to find out. And he starts thinking there's been plots before against me, and he couldn't remember who had uncovered previous plots. And that's why he asked the book of Chronicles be brought before him. And the book of Chronicles is brought, and they read in the book of Chronicles how there had been a previous plot where two of his, um, two of his guards had plotted to kill him, and Mordechai had saved him. And he asks, what reward did Mordechai get for saving my life? And they said he wasn't rewarded. There's no reward recorded here. And so he thinks, uh-oh, if Mordechai... Or some, if Mordechai doesn't get rewarded, why would anybody else save my life? Just then, it's already morning by now, and um, he hears somebody outside, and he asks, who's there? And they tell him, Haman is here. And he says, let him in. And he thinks Haman is here. He's probably here to continue developing his plot against me. And he's now getting a paranoid king, is now getting even more paranoid. And so Haman comes in and he turns to Haman and he said, says, what should be done to the man that the king wants to honor? Doesn't tell him who it is. Haman thinks, which man would the king want to honor? The man that the king and queen invited to their private dinner together. It must be me. And so Haman says, the man the king wants to honor, you should take the king's clothing and dress him up in the king's clothing, put the king's crown on his head, like a king, ride him on the king's horse and have one of the king's officers walk, walk through the streets of Shushan, leading him, announcing, so shall be done to the man who the king wants to honor. Ahasuerosh hears this, realizing that Haman thinks that he's referring to himself and thinking, uh-oh, that's evidence that Haman has designs to become king. And so he tells Haman, I would like you to go do this to Mordechai, the Jew who is at the king's palace. And Haman has no choice. He is forced to do so. He goes and he finds Mordechai. Our sages say that Mordechai was in the middle of leading 24,000 Jewish children in prayer at the time that Haman came, came and found him. And Mordechai tells the children, Haman is coming to kill me. 
he knew that Haman hated him, um, run. He tells all the children to run. And he finds Haman and he says, Haman, and Haman finds him. And Haman says, um, it is time to, uh, th- this is what the king has instructed. And so they do that. They, throw, they um, lead. Um, Haman is forced to dress Mordechai and lead him through the streets um, with the royal clothing, with the crown on the king's horse, announcing, so shall be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. The Midrash says that um, as they were going through the streets, his daughter was looking from a second story, Haman's daughter, and sees um, someone leading someone else through the street, saying, so shall be done to the man who the king wishes to honor. And so she um, assumes that the man leading is Mordechai and the man on the horse is Haman, her father. And so she decides to give Mordechai um, a little extra gift and so she takes the um, garbage pail and she pours it over um, from the second floor. She pours it over the man leading, um, who she thinks is Mordechai. Um, he looks up and she realizes that, that it's her father, Haman. And she jumps out from the second story um, to her death um, uh, because of her um, shock about what happened. That's, that's the, an, an addition from the Midrash. Um, and so... Then Haman comes home and he is now disheveled and um, he is now disheveled and dirty from his events of the day. And as he walks into the house, he tells his wife, what is Zeresh, what happened? And Zeresh tells him, once you start falling before the Jews, that's it, you are finished. And so as they are talking, he is still dirty and disheveled. Um, the king's officers come to bring him to Esther's party. They don't give him time to change. He's running late to the party. And so he comes all disheveled to the king and queen's party. Comes to the party, and here Ahasuerus asks Esther again, what is it that you want? I will give you up to half my kingdom. And so Esther said, there is a man who would like to destroy me and my people. And if... It would only be for myself, I would be silent. But the damage done to the king and the kingdom is, un, is uh, the damage done to the king and the kingdom will be great. And therefore, I cannot be silent. I cannot see my nation and my people be destroyed. And Ahasuerus, it's unclear if he's figuring out what she's referring to or not. Remember, he didn't yet know that she was Jewish. And he says, Who is it? Who is this individual that is destro- trying to destroy? You and your people. And she says, it is, she points to Haman, she says, it is this wicked man, Haman, right over here. And the king stands up in anger and he goes outside into the garden right outside and leaving Esther and Haman alone together. And Haman gets down on his knees in front of Esther and begs Esther to please save his life. And so, just then, the king walks back in and sees Haman on his knees right over Esther and says, are you going to try to attack my queen here in my palace? And he, as he is fuming, there is a, one of the guards says, your majesty, there is a gallows that Haman built um, 50 cubits high. 
that he was going to use to hang Mordechai on it. And the king responds, hang Haman on those gallows. And so they do exactly that. They hang Haman on the gallows. Just now, she just told him, my people, Haman wants to destroy my people, wants to destroy the Jewish people. And so on Esther's advice, um, the king appoints Mordechai in Esther's, in um, Haman's place as the head minister and gives him the, um, gives him uh, Esther's, uh, gives him um, Haman's house. And however, there is still a big problem. There is a decree that had gone out to that all the Jewish people across the empire be annihilated on the 13th of the month of Adar. It's still now the month of Nisan. We are told that the, the Megillah says that the plot of Haman happened on the 13th day of the month of Nisan. Um, the uh, Esther went into the king on the 15th day of the month of Nisan, which would be the first day of Passover. And the day that um, Haman was killed would have been the 16th of Nisan, the second day of Passover. Adar is a full 11 months later. In 11 months, the older Jewish people are going to be annihilated. So Esther comes before the king, and the king says, what would you like, Esther? I have given you everything you wanted. I have killed Haman. I have appointed Mordechai in his place. What else do you want? And she says, there is still a decree of annihilation against our people for the 13th day of Adar. And so the king says, well... I have a problem. I cannot rescind a decree that I already made. But I have an idea. Instead of rescinding my previous decree, I will decree that, er that the Jews can stand up and defend themselves and everybody should defend the Jews from those who try to kill them. So in other words, what the king was doing was he was legalizing a civil war. Whoever wants can kill the Jew, to kill the Jews can do so. Whoever wants to defend the Jews can do so on this day. And so um, they, sent out, um, they sent out messengers and wrote um, edicts with the royal signature that on the 13th of Adar, whoever the Jews should rise up to defend themselves and whoever wants to defend the Jews can do so. And so the Talmud says this was a very foolish king. We know that he's foolish from many parts of the story. Um, firstly, he killed his queen on the advice of his advisors. And then he kills his, his advisor on the advice of his queen. Right? So he was foolish. Um, but he was also foolish um, because instead of just rescinding his first decree, he allowed for a civil war in his own empire. And so the 13th day of Adar comes and the Jews and those and many of the king's soldiers stand up to defend them against those who are legally attacking them. And um, there is a war throughout the kingdom. The Jews win the war um, throughout the empire and are able to overcome their enemies. However, at the, uh, um, and they also they captured Haman's ten sons who apparently followed in their father's footsteps, and, all, uh, they, and they kill Haman's ten sons as well. Um, and then, and, uh, and, and so they come to the king, they report that they had, um, that the Jews had been able to overcome um, their enemies, and they had killed um, 500 of their enemies had been killed in the city of Shushan. It tells us 75,000 people who attempt to, attempted to attack Jews were killed throughout the empire. 
And so it doesn't tell us how many Jews were killed or if any. Um, and Esther goes back to the king and says, in Shushan there are still many, the battles are still raging in Shushan. Give us permission to continue fighting one more day. And also we would like to hang Haman's ten sons that had been killed on gallows in order that all of their supporters know that the battle should be over. The king gives them permission to do so. Then Esther, sorry, a little overtime. We're just finishing the story, just to finish the story. Esther then says, everybody celebrated on the 13th of Adar. On the, they fought on the 13th of Adar. They celebrated on the 14th of Adar. In Shushan, they fought for another day. On the 14th of Adar, they celebrated on the 15th of Adar. Esther then wrote down the book of Esther, the story, and she asked the next year that everybody celebrate on the 14th of Adar. And in Shushan and other walled cities, they f- celebrate on the 15th of Adar. And so they did so. Esther then asked the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Council of which Mordechai was a member, um, to um, make this a rule for all future, for the Jewish people forever, um, to enshrine it as a law in Judaism that, um, they will, that we will celebrate Purim every year. And indeed they do so. Then she asks them to, uh, the book of Esther that she had written, which was the story of what happened, she asks them to... Um, uh, to enshrine this book and include it in our holy scriptures, the Sanhedrin, the members of the Supreme Council, at this point in history, were actually working on making, on setting aside which books were considered holy and which ones were not. And she asked that Esther be included. Um, this may have been at a later date. And um, they included the book of Esther, believing that it was divinely inspired. Esther was divinely inspired when she wrote her book, uh, making (coughs) Esther one of the seven prophetesses or female prophets mentioned in Scripture, because she wrote her book, which was divinely inspired uh, by God and considered to be a holy book. What happened to Ahasuerus and Esther? Um, Just to get the the subscript, what happened at the end, postscript, Ahasuerus did not live much longer. Um, he ruled for another two years. And after, that, um, and after that, it's not clear if he was killed in some plot or he died. Um, he only ruled for 14 years in total. This story happened in the 12th year of his reign. So he only year, ruled two more years. Um, presumably after, Esther, after Ahasuerus' death, Esther had the freedom to go back and become publicly Jewish again and um, remained as a Jewish leader in Shushan, recognized for her role. She was probably also um, wealthy and um, considered aristocratic as the queen of the um, king. Um, the, uh, after Ahasuerus's death, he was succeeded by Darius, um, Daryavash, the second Darius, who was king for... 40 years, for over 40 years, for a very long time. Um, the Talmud says that Darius was, Daryavash was Esther's son, which would make him Jewish because Judaism follows through the maternal side. Although he did not in any way consider himself Jewish, he did allow for the building of the second temple. Cyrus had originally allowed for it, and Ahasuerus had stopped it, and Darius allows for it to continue. Um, in Hamadan today in in um, Iran, they have the graves of Mordechai and Esther are still there today. Um, they were buried there, and um, we today celebrate the story of Purim every year. I apologize for going over time. Um,